Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor. Connor's out of town because it's July 4th. Happy July 4th, everyone. Hopefully you are enjoying a day of cookouts and fireworks and celebration. We're here. Yeah. Because we got to give you the news. We have to talk about disc golf. <laughs> yeah. Um, USW DGC went down. What a, what a weekend for USW DGC. US yeah. Women's on July 4th. It was fun. Uh, so US Women's went down this past weekend. Uh, we'll cover all of that. Update our FPO power rankings, which we're going to have to debate live on air because we haven't done it yet um, intentionally because really there's only one decision to be made. Mm-hmm. And then Trevor's trivia. And then we'll wrap out the show with just a little, a little talksy walksy. little talksy walksy, <laughs> as you do. That's the new, that's a new phrase. But USWDGC, we had the results here. Haley King taking it down, fighting off a, a charging Valerie Mandahano who ended up in second place. And then Owen Scoggins was able to round out the top three there. Uh, some storylines from this weekend. This is a very bright spot on an otherwise somewhat bleak season for Haley, realistically. Very bleak season. Uh, she is a player who it's not surprising to see her win because she has such great talent, but she just typically isn't able to put it all together. Yeah, it's like I was surprised, but when you factor in that she's playing in her home state, that helps. But then also... When you take like a really big step back and get away from this season that has been bad, like you realize, like you watch her play. Like I mean, if you if you wiped my mind of all knowledge of the FPO division and then you just put that on TV in front of me, I'd be like, well, yeah, like she looks like the most athletic one out there. She throws a disc really well, solid putt. Like, like she she does, she looks like she belongs, and we know that she's talented. It's just been not a good season, and yeah, she typically makes too many mistakes. Uh, I'm sure the comfort of being in her home state, maybe that's just what she needed to kind of cancel out the mental part of her game that she was struggling with, and it led to what we would expect, which is her being competitive and ultimately winning. Uh, I, I'm i always for more competitors towards the top yeah. of the division, so I hope this is the confidence boost that she needs to continue competing um, throughout the rest of the season because, you know, we like seeing – more competitors, so so I, I'm happy for it. It's, it was a great win. Yeah, it's a great performance and and very impressive because she went down. Um, she lost her lead pretty early in the last round there, and, and yeah. dug herself out of it very quick. And that was impressive because she could have folded. Yeah, we've seen a lot of players in similar situation this year fold in that type of situation. Yeah, where they oh. they're up, they lose a lose it early, and then just never. Did bounce you back. hear the statistic they were throwing out there? It was that. Only one time in the history of major championships in the FPO division, this speaks to the lack of parity in that division more than anything. Only one time has a player come back from a two-stroke or yeah, more deficit. I heard in that. 2015. Two strokes in golf is nothing. It's no. one hole. And you saw it. It got Her lead was erased almost immediately. Um, but that, that stat blew my mind. That right there just tells you how much the game is, has started to change, because I think we're going to see more of that start to happen as years go on, like, consistently. Because, like, I was like, only once? Like, you're telling me nobody? W-? But that's because back then, you know, and in, in years past, there was, there was nobody was challenging the top players, and it was if it was their tournament, it was their tournament. Yeah. So that, that's, that was crazy for and me. And that is a, a wild, wild Val stat. Val almost stomped on that. <laughs> yeah. She was back six strokes yeah, going to the final round. she was charging. Uh, but speaking a little bit, you know, Haley obviously had been open about, you know, different, you know, taking a step away from the game, different stuff like that, different breaks she's had to take. Uh, but what's interesting is I hadn't really heard this fully, but in the Jomez profile of Haley King, um, when it was leading up, you know, she was talking about like this off season and stuff like that. And she took a slight shot at Discraft, it seemed. She didn't name it. Oh, it wasn't slight. It was slight until she said, when I joined Innova. Yeah, because she was talking about how, <laughs> you know, the past several seasons she just hasn't felt like the support from people behind her and she hasn't felt like people had her back and all of this. Yeah. Which, like, then you're listening like, and you're like, oh, like, that could be uh, friends, that yeah, could be family, like, that mm. could be anyone. And she goes, and then I joined Innova. Yeah, it's like, and ah. it was like oh, okay. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, someone actually DM'd us and, and sent me the link to that because I was watching live. So I, I wouldn't have caught it if it wasn't for that DM. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting because, you know, one thing to be said about Innova is obviously we've on this podcast talked about the monetary support of players and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, from Innova's side, letting Rick go, seeing several of the MPO players step away and stuff like that. 
I have noticed at several tournaments this week, this year, and I noticed it again this weekend, that high up reps from Innova tend to caddy at almost every event. Yeah, in some capa- some capacity, like yeah. Jeff Panis, uh, Kona's Kona's dad. Um, I believe he's the marketing director. He's at least high up in marketing at Innova. And I've seen him on the bag for whichever Innova Pro is on lead or chase card multiple times throughout the season. Yeah. Then at this event, I also saw Jonathan Poole out there, who mm. was like the team manager for Innova. He was on someone's bag. Um, Jennifer Allen is obviously just a sponsored player, but she has been with Innova for a long time um, and kind of has a like mentorship type of a role. She just went there to casually win Masters by 10 strokes. Yeah, she has dominated <laughs> Masters. Uh, but after her Masters win, she was out there with the lead card yeah. doing UDIS scoring a lot. So we can say what we want about like the monetary backing and stuff like that. I do think that speaks a lot to how you support a player. But when it comes to like rubber meeting the road, in, in like some situations, you do see Innova supporting their players in ways that other companies don't always. It, I, but another company, I will say this, Dynamic, I see uh, Eric McCabe out there caddying for... Yeah, some player pretty much anytime he's in town. Yeah, it's very interesting because all we've heard recently is Innova doesn't support their players, and you know, granted that was coming from a lot of that came from like the Rick stuff, and that yeah, and that does tie a lot more to a monetary because you know a player like Rick was out for a huge contract and probably just wasn't getting it, and that's probably where he feels that. But um, that's a lot of the narrative we've heard, and it, it's tough to say, you know when you're not really in the middle of it, what, what exactly is going on and what kind of support? Cause every player is looking for support in a different, different way. way. Yeah. Some players just want, they just want to have the monetary trust. Like you need to trust me to, to perform and sell discs and whatever. And like, I need that. Some players want to feel like a close relationship with their sponsor and other, some certain companies do a way better job at that than others. I know for a fact that I've heard players praise, um, DGA, I've heard players praise um, Dynamic for that, and um, also Infinite. Um, Eric Oakley had a lot of high praise for them. Well, I've heard a lot of high praise for Discraft though as well. Yeah, it's, it's which is where that one's. I'm, that's where I'm wondering if it comes from the type of support a player needs. That's what I'm saying. I think if it's just like some players, some players just probably just aren't good fits. Yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Well, it could be too. Like uh, a lot of what you do and deal with is your team manager. Yeah. So there could just be some situations where there's a fallout or whatever. Well, not necessarily a fallout, but like a team manager at Innova or Prodigy or Discraft or whoever, and this pl- and a player might just not have a lot in common or yeah. might just not be able to get along. Whereas like another player might be like a spitting image and they're best buds. Right. And so then it it might be something where you get the same amount of support, but it's like a, in a different way it, it to is, where it doesn't feel it. The Haley King situation is interesting because if you go all the way back to when the rumors started to stir and when she was leaving we were suspecting that this is before the katrina deal was announced and we were suspecting that it had something to do with that we were like oh is room being cleared for katrina now cap room or is katrina just be giving a bigger deal than Haley, and that's why she wants to leave like we were we were very much like not thinking because like in our minds back then before like forget Haley king starting off with a bad season this year back then Haley king was still like she was fresh top, off top few, talent. Like she, she won like two or three pro tours. Last she year. was last year with Val is this year, which is like the top talent, you know, sign her to a big deal, lock her down type player. And in our mind, like her to resign, there was with no Discraft, reason for her to leave. Yeah, it was yeah. like, it was like, yeah, this craft's going to probably, she's probably going to get a good bit of money. Well, I don't even think her contract was up. No, it wasn't. I think she had another year left. Yeah. Cause, it, cause it if, you, if you think back to it as well, it was during the time they just released those stalkers mm-hmm. to celebrate her performance the previous year. Yeah. And we still had them on our shelf when the announcement happened that she was leaving. I, I guess and it was maybe, a very weird time. And, there, and she could have been negotiating an extension and that's where things went sour. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine that that's not where, the disconnect was you know it's when it comes down to it like if you pay a player they're going to be happy yeah um so that and it's tough to say because like you know discraft's been throwing a lot of money around they did sign dickerson you know so maybe that's where they decided to allocate and Haley wasn't happy about that it's it's impossible to know we probably never will because yeah she i mean she sort of dragged them through the mud but ultimately didn't you know give any specifics no um i just thought that was a very interesting it is interesting point to bring up but uh in the final round, we did have Valerie Mandahano pushing very hard from the chase card. 
Uh, I believe she had like seven birdies in a row. Yep. Ended it with a bogey. Yeah. Uh, a, a questionable bogey because got, got too aggressive. That was the one where she was like eighty feet, hundred yeah. feet out and ran it, and then missed it was the a comeback. Heat, it was a heat putt. check. It was yeah. a heat check. She almost threw it in yeah. when it came out of her hand. As soon as she like threw it, I immediately my first reaction was no. Then it was halfway there. I was like, that's in. Yeah. And then it like hyzered. I was like, dang it. It was one. It was definitely one of those moments where you've just you know you haven't missed anything for so long. You're like, you I, just feel like you can't miss. Yeah, and and you also in your mind you you know that you're chasing somebody down because if she's in a lead there or closer than she was, she probably um, doesn't run it. Yeah. Well, she said in her post round interview that her goal was twelve under that round. She yeah. thought twelve under would win it. Yeah, it would have. Um, yep. Turns out she needed ten she, to force a playoff. If she didn't bogey, she had two bogeys on her round. If she went par par there and shot eleven, she, she would have won. That would have been such a sick comeback. Um, Something but, is interesting now is like Val is having this crazy season, and it stirred up a lot of people talking about her contract because you know obviously dynamic. Essential. I mean, you don't want to say. You know what I mean? Mean about it, but they chose wrong. They gave Kona the huge contract, and it seems at this moment. Things change very quickly in disc golf, but at this moment, it seems that money would have been better spent on Val. Well, it's just, the only thing that's tough that you don't a, know. Certainly from a talent standpoint. From a talent standpoint, yes. 100%. That one, everyone can see, everyone can know. What you don't know yeah. is behind the scenes, what kind of is plastic? Kona moving plastic like no other. Right, that is tough. That's the only thing. By, like, we can only see the tour series stuff that hits our shelves, yeah. and ours are skewed because we have Valerie on our team, but... It's pretty competitive. It's so tough. It's so tough. It's just it's just hard from like a company standpoint. Like you know you know Dynamic sees it. They're not blind dummies. Yeah. So like they you know like they're they're feeling that and Kona is probably feeling that pressure and it's and it's it's really hard on her. Yeah. Because like, you know, obviously she's not throwing, like she's trying to play well and like there's a lot of pressure on her. It's just very interesting because I don't know you it's hard to know what kind of contract Val signed. Um, she certainly was ne- has her value has skyrocketed because oh, yeah. I would argue right now, you know, she's probably the th- she's probably the third mo- most valuable player on the market, third or fourth, um, be- based on her age and how well she's playing right now. So yeah, I would wonder if she had any kind of renegotiation clause after a year because man, she could be she could be up for for some big money. We'll see. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think. I think part of it, going back to the the Kona contract, Val contract, because they both got signed in this offseason. Yeah. Val's was drastically overshadowed by Kona's because of the value, obviously. Right, yeah. Makes sense. Um, but one of the big things was during the contract announcement, Kona, I, I distinctly remember it she being... She was in a helicopter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, I distinctly remember it being more of a player contract. Like, she was mm-hmm. basically saying, like, they believe in me more as a player well, and less as a media asset. She played well last year. Uh, she did. To some and extent. I'm wondering this year, some of it might just be, because I think, I think basically this year, in my head, starts off tons of pressure, $500,000 contract on the line, all this stuff, plus new plastic when you're in the mix of learning new discs, you just don't have the same confidence for a yeah. short period. Yeah. Then you come out, you have a rough start. All the rumors start. Then the pressure builds even more. Not rumors, but all the like people start talking. Pressure builds even more. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just a, a big thing of Kona, I think, going into the season, could have had a very similar season to Val. But if you look at coming into the season, Val didn't really have too many eyes on her. No. She didn't really have no. many people talking about her. People knew she was good people knew that she was an up-and-comer but no one was expecting her to do great things kona on the other hand was in a similar boat last year up-and-comer no one really like when she did good it was great when she did bad and no one really expected a lot performance wise consistently excellent point then you get that contract yeah and they're both very similar players coming into the year both switching from innova to dd coming into the year yeah and then one has all the pressure of the world on them to perform and the other one is just like Hey, if you perform great, if you don't, you know you're basically you're the only ones gonna you're the only ones gonna be telling yourself that you suck, basically. Yeah. Versus Kona has the whole world looking at her. Yeah. And I think that it might just be the some of it is obviously talent and all this stuff that goes into it, but I think a lot of it might just be the environment behind the play, that one player is able to just go out play their game, not have to worry about what people say or think, and the other player has the pressure of this massive contract on their shoulders. It it is very true, and luckily for Kona. 
um, and we're not helping the cause right now. But the talk will and and already has started to simmer down be- yeah. because once you do it, once it happens for so many weeks where you're just not in contention, you know, new storylines appear. People are going to forget about it, and then you're going to have the opportunity to for the pressure to kind of alleviate a little bit. Now, it even without media pressure, you know, she's still got a you know, talk to her team manager every day, knowing that they're the ones that are paying. Like well, she's got to see those pay yeah. stubs go through, knowing that she's being paid. Like, I think the tough part at this point now is once you've been under a microscope for so long, Yeah. even when you're outside of that microscope, you are now like in your own microscope. Cause right. like, you've heard all these things be said about you. Like herself, it, yeah. it's a question of like, how much does she believe is true at this point? I, I but, really hope she can dig herself out of it. It's going to be very tough, but uh, I'm sure it'll only take a good finisher too. Yeah. Just you just she's got to just got to start one good event at a time and build some momentum and and figure out that like, you know, you can do it. Like you can still play. It's you know it's not impossible. If just, we've seen anything over the past few years, my prediction. Here we go. Oh my god. I don't know why. If we've seen anything over the past few years, I think Kona wins Throw Pink Women's or not Throw Pink Women's. I think Kona wins the Pro Tour Championship, at the end of the year. And it just writes the ship. Going into the off season, she comes off that, and like that is, I would be willing to bet a large sum that does not happen. I don't think it would happen, <laughs> but I'm just saying the storyline would make complete sense because, like, if you look at past winners, Haley King at that time she wasn't having a great season two years yeah. ago, end up winning the Pro Tour Championship. Missy Gannon last year went throw pink women Pro she Tour Championship, hot. and then won Player of the Year because it was a very recency bias yeah. where it's like. Oh wow, she's the best player right now. She wasn't. Imagine that. But that's what happened, right? Boom, boom. And so it kind of makes sense. On the MPO side, you know, you just had Nathan Queen win. Like the Pro Tour Championship's a big title, but it's very random. It is super random, yes. So throw your name in the mix. Kona walks away with your it. Your odds are better than they would be at a normal event. Kona walks away is with it. Is she gonna qualify into- for the Surely. <laughs> top sixteen, absolutely. I don't think so. No, yeah. Oh. It's only the top sixteen. Oh. <laughs> We're gonna surely hold on little, little early Trevor's trivia <laughs> i got it right here um let's look at the rankings because it's top 16 it's top 16 for FBO. where do you think she sits at right now 15 <laughs> let's look oh gosh that's a lot of scrolling she's in 20th Ooh. right now she qualifies in the last spot for the play-in yeah, so they have that play in for the 16th spot. Right now, she's in the very, and she is in that spot. What a Cinderella story! It's she's in be. that spot by 0.3 points over Jessica Weiss. So she. What a Cinderella story it's going to be when she, <laughs> when she wins from the playoff, when she wins bro. from the play, the play in spot to the champion. How funny is that? It's like you're like, yeah, I'm a predictor to win, and she doesn't even qualify. Well, Where, like, what is she? She's coming 29th, 33rd, 18th, 10th, 4th, 8th. 16th DNF, 13th, 17th, 13th, 28th, 39th at this re- most recent event. That is bad. That, that, that's that a very bad, bad season. I thought it was going to start trending up, and then she went 28th, 39th. Yeah, last that's two. a rough season. Oh, man. Kona, dang, dang. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, while we're on a sad mood, um, it's almost like this past weekend, Haley and Paige flipped spots to a certain extent. Because So Haley wins, obviously. Very great tournament from Haley. But Paige was having a very good season leading up to it and then finished 21st at this tournament. And there's no real reason, I think, for this to happen. Like, in my opinion, I saw some people being like, oh, like, she can't have an off weekend. No, she can. But an off weekend, I think, for Paige Pierce should still be, like, top 10. Yeah. Maybe top 15. We can give her top 15. Yeah, it's just bad. Especially these courses, we're going to talk about them a little bit more. They didn't have, like, if you were able to get in the fairway, you were making pars. Most of the yeah, time, at least. I've, I've got the stats here. Um, I was, I was very shocked to see. I think, I think she was mentally checked out before it started because yeah. in the interview, the pre-round interview, a there was like the celebrity pro am the day before. B in the pre-round interview, she was talking about the courses and how she felt like it just didn't challenge the FPO field. Which as soon as you say a course isn't challenging, the you're gonna pro-am shoot bad. Was the day before? Yeah, it was Wednesday, and the tournament started on Thursday. Oh my! What a awful move by the pro tour that's that's a that's atrocious yeah i think it was just because they were in wisconsin and they just like it was the only time they could fit it in because katrina allen (laughs) went how's somebody talking about that they scheduled a they scheduled a pro-am before a major 
they didn't have to play. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, another... I, so far, I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour scheduled three things that were dumb this year. One was on... One was on Super Bowl Sunday. That All-Star was, Weekend. That was pretty dumb. The second one was on... They had a, a major on Easter. That wasn't the Pro Tour, though. That was a major. Yeah, that wasn't the match Pro Tour. Okay. Match play was more the location they scheduled it. Yeah. It was tough. I'll give them, like, two and a half points for bad scheduling. This one's probably the most criminal, though. Like, that's, that's pretty unfortunate. Well, because it, it... Well, what's criminal about it is, like... It was right before. Well, you hate to say it, but if this was a world or a major where MPO was playing, it wouldn't. The pro am isn't happening right yeah. then, or it's happening on Monday. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, it's I could be completely wrong. They might, they might still would have done it, but no. I just don't Not see the it. Day before, nobody would have played. That's what I'm saying. No one plays. Yeah. But I'm Katrina Allen sh- chose on Monday, Tuesday to play in a, a golf event, an actual like traditional golf event, and then Wednesday what? had the celebrity pro am. And then Thursday started the major. And then, you know, came in, came like in fourth. fourth. Yeah. yeah. That's a real athlete right there, Paige. Take that. <laughs> That's hysterical. But, yeah, I mean. I wonder how she did in the golf event. What was that know. about? It was like something with her. She said a high school friend invited her to come play some, like. That's hysterical. Some event. What? But um, the. Where was it? Oh, but in the interview beforehand, she was talking about how the courses she felt like didn't really challenge all of this stuff. And then just went and out then, and didn't play. And then well. the course has challenged her. <laughs> yeah, um, she just doesn't like. Just say what you say what you mean. Well, Paige. You don't said, like wooded courses. She also said, "Well, these weren't even that wooded. They were like more like short park technical style courses. courses." Yeah. Uh, she also said, "It won't surprise me if an AM wins this weekend because like there's no separation out here," which that's a fair statement. Plenty, but plenty of separation for everybody else, just not you. Well, no, but here's the here's the thing: is like a course with no separation could does that mean like like we have a weekly at the shortest course in the area, pitch and putt. Could an intermediate player show up and win? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They could shoot 14, 15 under, right? But a very good player is always going to shoot 12 or 13. They're still, yeah, always. You're still going to shoot You're well. You're still going to be you in might, the mix. You might get beat by a worse player, but you're going to shoot decently. Yeah, you might lose by four or five strokes. You're not going to come in 21st. Yeah, she was 14 strokes off of the, the pace. That is yeah. so far. All, over four rounds, that's what? Like four? Almost four strokes around. Yeah, a little, yeah. A little three. That's not happening if it's if it's just like, well, I played really good, but like there's no separation out here. Yeah. No. And every another problem I have, like I'm I'm okay to play that card when it's super random, but all the other good players to me seemed like they were near the top. Yeah, they were all up so, there. So what are we doing? I actually I have the yeah pull, pull I have the, the stats. stats here. I was doing some math because I am I am very anti birdie or die course. However. I, I do think, especially the second course at this event, wasn't too bad. And also, I'm starting to think for the FPO field, because there are there's such a distance gap between like the very top few players and the rest, that for more entertaining golf, it might be best to play these style of courses. So I have um, some stats here just to kind of show the difference between this tournament and the last one they played, which is the Preserve. Now, keep in mind, this is over two courses um, at the U.S. WDGC, but same idea for both. Um, so, for the U.S. WDGC, there was an nine holes averaged over par on average for the event. So, it, for all four rounds, it was averaging half the holes would average over par. To give you a comparison, at the preserve, that number was 11.3. So a little over two more holes would average over par for the event. Um, not crazy, but, you know, it's something. This is where it gets a little more significant, and this is because of the lack of OB more than anything, I think. Um, at USWDGC, you had, for the entire event, you had a 17.75% bogey or worse um, scores taken, and then at... For the preserve, you had 24.6% bogey or worse, considerably higher. And then you had a 22.75% birdie percentage at the USW DGC compared to only a 17.6% birdie percentage at the preserve. So that is where you see the difference, particularly in the worse than bogey category. Because at this at this course, I mean, you were seeing like a couple double bogey or worse taken like every day like it was like one percent or or less each day yeah like it it's when there's no ob you pretty much can't take double bogeys unless you miss a short putt like that's that's what it was coming down to so it's very interesting because i don't 
I'm not really a huge fan of these types of courses because I, as much as like you can take, there is going to be some scoring separation over the course of the entire event, but you want there to be a good amount of separation, like hole by hole. You want there to be a chance for, for a two-stroke swing, exactly, you or three-stroke swing. Yeah, you need to be there to be multiple-stroke swings, um, especially on hole 18. That kind of stunk. Um, so that's where I think it gets me the most, but it is tough also because like it is entertaining and like the more players of that division can handle yeah. a course like that. Well, that's what you have to look at it from two different perspectives. Cause a, a tournament like what we just watched is going to make a better product for the fans pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. Cause there's more birdies to be had. There's less mistakes that are going to be made. Is it slightly more boring because you can tell the players aren't being challenged? Absolutely. But what it does is the finish is going to be thrilling pretty much every time. Yeah. The downside of that is it creates a thing where, like, it, it's hard for you, – you want a course where it challenges players to where the best player uh, has an advantage. Like, you, uh, yes. the best player deserves an advantage. The problem is right now there's this – in the FPO field, there's this weird thing where, like, a lot of times that, that effect that – we want the best player to win effect only applies to the players who can throw far. Yeah. So like, in, cause in the MPO field now recently, double G and Simon have had some success players like that, but they all throw very far. All yeah. those top players. And that is definitely just being able to mash at certain courses will help you a bit, but it's not going to be like the game changer in the FPO field at a lot of the courses. It is a, it's a massive game changer aside from any of the the other things so that that's where it gets difficult um but but yeah i i don't know i don't really know where i stand because i thought i did but i'm not well i think the tough part i think is right now man because like right now for the most part the pro tour the fpo just plays a shortened version of the mpo course which isn't bad but when you're doing that the MPO, the design is laid out so from the MPO, they're challenged with OB and stuff like that. So when FPO is moved up, pretty much the only thing that you can do to make the FPO course harder is the distance aspect because you can't, the FPO landing zones might be similar to MPO, but if you're throwing from 450 or 500 feet to a landing zone versus you're throwing from 300 feet to a landing zone, the, the distance separation is drastically different because... In MPO, if you're throwing, let's just say 450 to a landing zone from a T to a landing zone, everyone is using some form of a driver. Yeah. Right? On FPO, if you go to 300 feet, that is some players' max flex distance, and then that's some players' mid. Right. Yeah. And so it's a drastic difference because then what it does is, a, even though 300 feet, every player in that field can pretty much achieve that, at least every player in the top, like 15 or 20, how they achieve it is so drastically different that, like, a, a player like Paige or Cat, it gives them a, a much bigger advantage the distance because of they can control the disc landing. So that's where right now distance is such a big separator. But when you come to a course like this, it takes the distance separation out. Yeah. So it's just playing. Yeah. Which, that side's great. The issue of this course was there was no chance to blow up. Yeah. Because if, if your disc hyzered into the woods, were the woods thick? Yeah, but they were so thick that you weren't going in the woods. Right. So you were on the edge. So you just right. straddled yeah, out. a lot of shots were getting threw, knocked down the you edge. Just threw, you straddled out, threw a little pitch up, and you might bogey. But right. a lot of times you could still save par. Or there are some of the par fours where you could throw far enough up there and just let it just get yeah. distance. It didn't matter where didn't it landed. Matter. Then just pitch up for your birdie, and it was easy. Yeah. There just wasn't a lot of chances for swings to happen. And... They're also just the the par was just not the par was soft, but the course was just soft in general. That I feel like it didn't let the the top players display because I I think at the end of the day with how players played this weekend, our top three probably would have looked very similar. Yeah. Own was playing very solid. Val was playing very solid. Haley was playing very solid, and all three of them can compete on pretty much any course out there. Own, if there was a lot of distance, might have slipped down, but those three players. That's not a weird top three to no, me, talent-wise. They're, they're very capable. Yeah. But I think it would have looked slightly different if like it, if Hole 18, for instance, had a bunch of OB. Yeah. And there is pressure on Haley going into it. And Val sitting in the clubhouse, you know, one stroke ahead of her, where she can't bogey or whatever. And a lot of stuff just it makes the situation look different. The other thing is round one, I was very surprised to see Mach 5s at a major. 
Yeah. I was very surprised. You know what? And this is the part that killed me. Like, the irony of this was the funniest thing ever. You're watching them play on these Mach 5s, and then a commercial pops up for DGA about how you can upcycle baskets in yeah. Mach 7. Someone tagged me in that, and they said, do you think the major should have tried upcycling <laughs> their baskets? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I well, was like, you're telling me, like, you're going to play that commercial as you're watching. And, like, because if you're DGA, if I am DGA, and I even catch wind of a major being played on a course with my baskets, I am immediately shipping out my best basket to that course. Even if I'm going to take it away afterwards, whatever. Like, you are now you are now going to have a major where because like the Mach Five is not meant to be a premium basket, but guess what? It's going to get ragged on. Well, like it was it in 1996, right? And when it's it gonna, came out, it's going to get ragged on like it is. Like, is that not a no brainer? Like your DG, you're like somebody from DGA is paying attention. You know, they see what. Well, course I don't gets think DGA is really catching any flack for this right now. The well, PDGA is a lot more. I, I, yes, I agree. I agree. It doesn't come down to DGA, but I'm just saying, if I were DGA, that would have been a very simple solution. No, yeah. I agree. I'm shipping well, baskets out. If there. I'm the PDGA, when I'm looking at these courses, that's part of the approval process. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at the basket. And I'm like, hey, you know what? We feel like these courses. Also, another thing that was, these are like very nitpicky. So deal, like, just listen, hear me out here for a second. These are very nitpicky because I know they're things that wouldn't happen if this was a if this was USDGC or any other MPO only major. Yeah. These types of things wouldn't happen. Yeah. The T signs. Yeah. The T signs didn't even have trees on them. Yeah. It was a I could have done it in Microsoft Paint. It was a red circle for the basket, maybe not red, but it was a circle for the basket, a rectangle for the T, and then it was just a lighter color green and then a dark color green. And that was it. Yeah. Like you didn't you couldn't see where major trees were, you couldn't see like distances. I think part of it is we talked about this some with uh Worlds last year when Worlds fell short a little bit. Part of it is the Pro Tour has put out such a good product for so long that we're used to it now. That things that used to fly don't fly anymore. Right. If I'm seeing, like, I was trying to look at the caddy book to learn these courses before the USWDGC preview, the caddy book showed me nothing yeah. because I'm looking at green blobs. Yeah. I, c- I could see the shape of the fairway and the distance of the hole, but yeah. I couldn't see where danger was or anything. Yeah. It was, it was awful. And then the baskets, again, the baskets, like, are they, are they bad baskets for going out and having a fun casual round with your friends? Absolutely not. No, they're fine. But we saw some awful spit outs. Awful spit outs. Pro- that yeah. like, you're at a major. Like, and it's something where, is that basket PDGA approved to be played at a major? Yes. So from the technical standpoint, is there anything wrong with that? No. But again, those baskets came out in 1996. The amount of basket development that's that happened so funny and so like, far. Can you imagine them playing like on a basketball hoop from like ni- 1996? No, like, but like that's the thing is if like, you go to a park to shoot hoops, who cares when that basketball right. hoop was put in? When you're playing a national championship, so funny. They, they, that's not going <laughs> like, to fly. What are we doing? But even like advertisement wise, I didn't feel like like it's again. It, I feel like every year USWDGC, we have a similar conversation where I just, I didn't feel like it was a major. Yeah. I watched it. I know it was a major. I know Haley King just won a major. It just didn't feel it. And the only thing that made it feel like a major was the pretty good coverage by the uh, Disc Golf Network, not yeah. the PDGA. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, it, it gets under my skin a little bit when every year we come to USWDGC and every year there's something that I'm just like, this isn't up to, not even like this isn't up to a golf standard or other pro sports yeah. standard. This isn't up to the standard that we see at every other pro event. Yeah. And like, that just is, there's something to be said about that. And I don't know what fully there is to be said about it. I saw some people being like, well, like what's the PDGA supposed to do? Like it's the local courses that have those baskets. Th- this no, wasn't, see, this wasn't problem. Madison, Wisconsin, USWDGC. Yeah, this PDGA. was the PDGA's WD- yeah, USWDGC. That's, that's just it. When the pro tour is in charge of things, they go and they vet these courses out and they transform them. They do what they need to do. They, they make it happen. And the PDGA doesn't. The PDGA needs to have a major running committee that takes... I think they do now. But they probably do. But they need to have one that is more serious that takes... Because like right now, it's like, well, if you have the right TD, it's going to work out. Robert Leonard ran the, the Champions Cup and, yeah, it, was, it, and great. it was great. But if you don't have the right people, like it's, like, it's just kind of a random thing. Whereas like they need to have a major committee... And that committee needs to take these things very seriously. Like they need to be out at that course, figuring these things out. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it, the basket thing is, it's pretty, it's pretty tough to think well, about. Well, luckily they finished on a course that I thought was better than the first course. There yeah. was at le- least more chances of separation and the yeah. baskets there were fully acceptable. There's nothing wrong with them. So 
the final two rounds left you with a much better taste in your mouth that you kind of forgot the first two rounds to a certain extent. Yeah. But the first two rounds, I mean, I was just watching the course and I was just like, it just doesn't, it, it's, it's just the optics of it to a certain extent for a lot of it. Because like the baskets, yeah, they might've cost a stroke here or there, you know, but it's the optics of you, you know, like players at home know what baskets are out there. Yeah. They know what the best of the best is. Right. That's the Mach 5 just isn't the best of the best yeah, anymore. You, you are, you're right when it's like, it's such an obvious giveaway that the PDGA doesn't care that much with the women's event when it, whenever you're, they're playing on lower class baskets. Like that's just like, well, also, and the T signs. Like it's just like, yeah. it's just such an obvious dead giveaway that they didn't put as much effort into it as they could because there are better things well, out Well, the there. tough part though, I think is again, it's tough to say the PGA versus like something else the PGA runs because all they run are majors and the majors are so dependent on what local community runs it exactly. to, exactly, which is the whole problem. That's the problem. Because yeah. what what happens is we go US, we go pro tour event, pro tour event, pro tour event. Then we're at USWDGC and it's just such a glaring difference. Yeah, the sponsorship signs. Like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really remember seeing sponsorship signs on the fairway in front of tees anywhere like that. Yeah, I saw some behind 18. Uh, I saw mm. some like flags and stuff up back there, and I saw some behind the whole one tee. But like when you're on the course, there's a major championship going on. Yeah, you would think we're gonna have like sponsors. We're gonna have you know people paying to put their like little banners up or something somewhere. And here and here's where you're gonna really tell. Like, this is where I remember last year specifically. Like, it's it's one thing when the event's going on, but just wait till October when they're playing the throw pink and every, oh, yeah. and everybody's taking it ten times. Even the players themselves are taking it ten times more serious because it actually feels like a major. Well, that's the thing is I, I it wrote has this. nothing to do with the men are being there. It no. has everything to do with the way that event is run. Exactly. I wrote this down because I, the tough part is like you might know this off the top of your head who won uswdgc last year page okay you didn't know it okay because a lot of people you ask and like throw pink women's missy gannon won yeah. right away when i was thinking when i was writing last year's i was like uswdgc i was like who even won last year and i was like pretty sure it was page but i had to think throw pink yeah. women's i instantly remember i mean here's, because here's what here's what i will say i remember and i was at throw pink women's last year but I remember very specifically a lot of the events that went down, whereas if you asked me to talk about the USWDGC last year, the only thing I remember, you know what I remember? Paige ranting about yeah, it. Yeah, I remember Paige complaining about <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's what I remember. That's all I remember about it. Uh, but Throw Pink Women's, like at the, what's going to end up happening again is at the end of this year, Throw Pink Women's is going to happen. It's going to just be an A tier again. And that is going to feel more like a major as a viewer as a as a player, it's tough to know. There's I mean, no winning, way winning throw pink basically got Missy Gannon Player of the Year, and it was an A tier. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, she won the Pro Tour Championship, but without the throw pink, she wouldn't have. I'm sure. Yeah, it's very, and I get the the, the counter argument to it, right? Is U.S. Women's is like um, a celebration of just the women in the I sport. I am all for it. And when you put it on the weekend of yeah. USDGC, it would get overshadowed. I am I am so all for them having their own event. Yeah, it is so easy. To do it, like just do it better. Then, well, that's my. To me, the biggest thing is your problem with it. Maybe do it. Maybe do it on Winthrop the week before, or something. It doesn't even have to be on Winthrop. Basically, just yeah. There's a lot of other courses. You know what might come down to is maybe just let someone else run it. Yeah. Maybe let the Pro Tour take it over. I don't know. It's bad. I don't know. I don't know. They got to do better. I just am like, just keep this in your mind. Maybe take a picture of the T sign and keep it in your phone, and then when throw pink women rolls around just watch how they're treated on the course and everything because it's not like oh well of course the t signs are going to be better they're playing the same course it as mpl they're not a, it is such a wild thing cuz like, like remember last year we played um we played the course right we played Winthrop gold and we were out there watching the women and then when the lead card would go through Innova had a crew following behind the lead card that was picking up the tent moving it back and pulling the T sign that they put out for the women. Yeah. The women had separate T signs, separate T pads, and then they had tent waters, all of that at like every T and Innova was treating the women the same as they treated the men's major because they were, well, realistically it was even more impressive how they treated the women because it was an A tier. Yeah. So like for an A tier, they could have just said, Hey, your T, I mean, it's an A tier, your T pads are right there. Like it is such a weird thing that like there is a tour standard being set by, um, by specifically by like USDGC for the majors, like they're setting a standard 
and then the pro tour is setting a tour standard they're really starting to find their groove with like what the standard is and then you see an event like this that is a major that kind of falls behind in ways and it's just like how is that happening how's that being allowed to happen that's that's what just gets me yeah like we there is a standard out there and it just like there needs to be the utmost thought put into a major championship for the women like that like it's a shame um because i really enjoyed watching the event yeah it was good no it was that's the at the end of the day like the players the coverage all that was incredible Haley king won a major none of that can be taken away period none of that the how the event goes down the little again all these things are very nitpicky the trophy sucked all these things are very nitpicky, but it's it's just again the optics to me of like I'm watching it from home and I'm just like it just feels like it just didn't feel like a, a ton and I know a ton of time and energy went in from the local community, but the PDGA who would have the resources to design T signs that actually have trees on them to be like hey you know what for this we you don't have to fully replace the baskets you don't. We're going to bring in Innova as a title sponsor. Innova, can we just borrow 18 yeah. baskets? Oh, yeah. Innova probably 100% would have. He's yeah. been like, yeah, take 18 baskets, put them in. We'll pull the 18 baskets, bring them back. Is that logistically cost you a little more money? Yeah. But it makes a very but, big difference. again, as I said previously, there was obviously a lot of money to be made out there because there wasn't any ad sponsorships going on on the fairway anywhere. And it might just be something where the, the PDJ is like, well, the local TD raised, you know, X amount of money. It's like, well, no, you, like, to me, the PDGA should be showing up a month before the event and, like, be on the grounds, getting the, making sure the course is ready, making sure the baskets are good, advertising. Because especially this, they had, it was the biggest USWDGC ever, 300-plus competitors across 19 divisions, right? It was a massive event. Awesome. Great. We want to keep that going, obviously. But... When you have an A tier that happens at the end of the year that feels more like a major and feels more like a U.S. champions being crowned, it really puts a damper on the U.S. women's, in my opinion. Yeah. So, like, to me, if I'm if I'm the PDGA, you basically have two options: you either fold and you give it to Innova. I think it's the wrong option personally because I don't think uh, I don't think a company owning a major yeah, is a good like, idea. Yeah, let's not do that anymore. Or you step your game up and beat them at their own game. Yeah. And make when they, when people step on the field when they step onto the premise, it feels like holy cow! This is the biggest event of the year. Right. This is massive. It's one of those. It's another one of those like the PD. This is why the PDGA confuses people so much because they should have so much money and resources because they have so many members that are paying them, um, and they're collecting. Per, you know, they're getting percentage fees for sanctioning right yeah so they're getting revenue and then like they're i understand that they have work to do like i talked to nate heinold about this like i get it there's a lot of administrative stuff that the pdga does sure but like when you have a like i know they've got to have resources and when you've got a chance to flex your resources like a major to run perhaps like look at what a company like Innova does they're successful they make a lot of money i think and when they got a chance to to flex their resources what do they do they put on a crazy huge event like the pdga what dynamic does the dynamic does open right like that's that's the thing like if the pdga if you want to show the people that you care like if you want to show the disc golfers that you care and that you're using our money for things that we want to see in the sport then like put on a really good major i don't know yeah like that would help yeah it was very very interesting but um yeah and you know we have the final point of like actually on the grounds the coverage all of this stuff the event seemed very big right like it seemed like there's a lot of interest out there a lot of gallery out there and you know we've talked about at some point there's probably going to be a split because of the pro tour into a women's pro tour just because logistically as both grow eventually it's going to reach a point where it doesn't make sense. Yes. Um, and so this kind of gave a, I don't want to say gave a glimpse, but to a certain extent kind of did, but it made you kind of think of like, what would this even look like? Now, obviously we just talked about all the things that, you know, were bad about the event, but there's a lot of yes. things great about the event. And um, is it time for it? No, I don't think so. But I think that one of the big things that it would allow is it would allow courses to be designed and fully, um, utilized i guess is the word i'm looking for uh but designed is the biggest thing fully designed and 
um, manicured for the maximum performance and entertainment of the FPO field to where you can be very strategic about when OB gets brought in or out. You can be very strategic about the distances. You can be very strategic about pin placements, all this to actually push and challenge them. Yeah. But uh, what does that look like? I'm not fully sure. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's a developing thing. And it's, it's going to, I mean, I personally, I don't know if a perfect solution is ever going to be found until there is a separate tour for the, for the women's game. Because, like, you're never going to be able to specifically tailor things to their event until it's separate. And I think that it'll eventually happen because it, here's the thing. It happened in golf and it was, it's, it's very successful. The LPGA tour, like those, there's golfers make good money. It's, it's successful. There's viewership. So I think it can be done. Um, and I think when I see an event like this go down, like I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching, um, the event a lot i think that because of the amount of like silver series and stuff there is on the tour i think they could even scatter it to where like the women are playing separate from big men's events and like to to keep the viewership even in that regard um but it's already separate streams so they could still just play early um but i don't know i think that'll be the direction it heads in eventually but i think until then it's just going to be a series of like "Mm, well this becomes a problem and that's a problem like it's just going to be tough i think the toughest part is when the when the FPO field, like the FPO at USWDGC had over 90 players. Yeah. A pro tour couldn't handle that to a certain extent. Right. Right. Um, even if it's just streaming wise of the two separate streams, if you have 90 players going off, it, it starts to get later, later in the day yeah. to where both streams will be going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, a, an FPO field right now on the pro tours tends to be around like 40 to 50, yeah. somewhere in there. So basically twice the size of a field. So if a if a touring field cr- was created that was that big, I think that's when the issues start to happen. Is like, you you just you simply couldn't sus- have both continue at the same thing and be as big as they could be. So at yeah. some point they're gonna have to split and making that decision at the right time that they split and they're both able to be sustained and grow is gonna be crucial. But very interesting. But let's go over some power rankings super quick. MPO obviously didn't play. FPO we have a tough decision. Two tough decisions, really. I think, first off, Haley King, great, great win, major win, literally. Not good enough to sleep, sneak in the top five, I don't think, for the power rankings. Just because the rest of her season has been pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, she if she rattles off like one or two more decent finishes. Yeah, then, then she, could, she, she definitely could. So I think Missy Gannon stays, uh, unless we want to sneak Owen Scoggins in. Will be the only other question. Because Own beat her again this week. Own did, and Own's been having a pretty let solid me get season. The head-to-head up real quick. All right, uh, I'll explain to you the the number one thing we're going to run into this week when doing the power rankings is the Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar one two. Paige recently jumped Kristen in our power rankings to get to number one in the world, and then finished with a a twenty first place finish in a major. And one of the gripes we had with other world rankings and stuff like that was when a player doesn't play, they shouldn't be able to just like consistently not show up and move up in the rankings. So it's basically a question of what the heck do we do with Paige and Kristen? Because Paige doesn't deserve the number one spot right now after finishing 21st at a major. Kristen hasn't done anything. She can't play right now. So like, does she just randomly jump back in the number one without doing anything? It'd be a cat can't really jump because Val just beat cat. So then does Val all of a sudden jump to the number one player in the world? It's a very interesting, interesting breakdown so, we have going on. But so this year, Owen Scoggins is five, three and one against Missy. The only thing that Missy has going for her is that she has a win at the music city open the silver series. Silver Series. That is that's that's kind of what she has. All right, so I think Owen Scoggins moves. I'm in. okay with that. Yeah, Missy's got. I think that Silver Series win is expired. Owen Scoggins has been too consistent. And she's yeah, weird too and she just came in third at a major. Yeah, so Owen Scoggins, welcome to the top five. Fourth top place. Five. Do we keep Val there? Or does Val jump Cat? I think Val now jumps Cat. Okay, so fourth place we have Katrina Allen. Okay, so then that puts Valerie Mandahano into third, which then leaves us with. The Kristen, Kristen Page debacle. Here, my thought on the whole thing is, I 
agree with I don't like players being pu- or being promoted for not playing. However, I think if it, it's a scenario where if Paige and it's it's even tougher because Paige won last week because like it's one of those things where if Paige just does okay, like if she just comes in tenth, like I'm not even we're not even thinking about this right now. But it's the fact that she played so bad. I'm so hesitant though because she won the week prior, literally won the week prior, and Kristen wasn't there. And now it also wasn't Kristen's fault, but no, I think we keep it honestly. That's yeah, we I'm, keep I'm one start, too. I'm starting to lean in, lean that we keep it because Paige just won. She just won last okay. week. Okay. And Kristen wasn't there. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to move it. I Kristen needs to get back, and she's gonna. Kristen's well, I guess gonna, because Val can't jump Paige. But could Val jump Paige? No. Okay. No. Um, because Kristen will be back for for Ledgestone or for uh, Ottawild, right? Hopefully, I, I think. I don't. So. I don't. It'd be very weird for her to be because she's still in Europe. The European Open uh, is the week after Ottawild, right? Ottawild this did weekend. She, didn't she mention that she was trying to get back? Ottawild's this weekend. Then there's the Sula Open and then European Open that are happening in Europe. Let's see if she posted about it. I think originally. Apparently, she just turned thirty. Also, someone messaged me that she now has tested positive for COVID. Well, that's not good. Um, within the last, you know, few days. Um, but that's oh, just a. She's having elbow pain too. That was just she's a been random. Playing with painkillers. That was a random Instagram DM. So don't fully trust me on my my source there. Well, yeah. Apparently, she's having elbow pain too. Yeah, I did see that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go ahead and say she's probably not going to Yeah, okay. We're going to leave Kristen in second. I think I <laughs> yeah, think Kristen a solid, performance, down right a now, solid performance from Val will move Val into second. I think that's where we're at. But all right, so we'll keep Paige number one. But Paige, you're on razor thin ice right now. Kristen in second, Val, Cat, own. FPO top five. All right, it's time for the fan favorite segment. Trevor's trivia. Typically, Trevor pits me against Connor, but today it's just me against me. Yeah, so I was kind of messing around in Statmando this morning because they have a lot of interesting stuff for trivia. Statmando, by the way, shout out Statmando because I don't think they probably get enough credit for this website. It's really cool. Um, so they do this Monday fun day thing where they kind of throw out a ton of stats um, from the, the previous week and just like all of PDGA tournaments worldwide. So they're going to they like the total cash that was made, how many throws happened, how many players played rounds, how many thousand rated rounds even happened. And I think that's really cool. So I have got um, a few, we'll just, we'll just, I think it'll be an interesting one just because like you have some get educated guesses probably, but also just to, it's just fun to kind of look at. We'll have educated guesses. Um, so the first question I want to ask is, this is I'm sorting this by North American state as this also counts Canadian provinces as okay. well. Um, which state? Which let's see if you can guess like any of the top five states for total cash won in those states for this past, past weekend week. has to be Wisconsin. That would be number one. Yes. Yeah, because seven thousand dollars went to first. Seventy-eight thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars. Yeah, was exchanged. But then let's see if you can get any more of the top five. So outside of Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina. No, North Carolina was is actually like halfway down the list. Only eighteen hundred dollars. There's not North Carolina. There's, I mean, there's one that you could definitely guess. California. No. The other one. <laughs> the other one that you would probably guess is a lot of you know. Texas. Yeah, Texas was at seven thousand. Texas is in fourth place at seven thousand three hundred eighty-two dollars. There were 16 is Colorado events. up there? No. What else is big up there? <laughs> Ohio. No, Kentucky. The, uh, yeah, Kentucky, 8,466. The other, there's one that you're not going to get, so I'll just say it, but it's Alberta, Canada. There was one oh. event, there was one event, and it was 11 grand was exchanged. But that's actually, really, the, the more, that, those stats are kind of misleading. The more interesting, the more relevant stat is how many events were played, in which case North Carolina would have been second. Um, but only $1,800? Yeah, they had 10 events, only $1,800 in cash. So, like, only one pro event, basically? I guess so. That's kind of wild. Um, wow, this is an interesting one. Which which state had the most 1,000 rate? I'll just say this. Which state had the most? I'll tell you which state had the most 1,000 rate rounds. Or, and, and you try to guess, like, 
you just try and guess what was the most, like, of the state that had the most 1,000-rated rounds in the past week, how many do you think they had? Okay. So that it was Kentucky. And they had, let me, <laughs> this is crazy. They had a lot more than second than the second place. Okay, Kentucky had 21. They had 59. Second place, though, was Texas with 18. Hmm. So that's interesting. I don't know why. Are Kentucky rated ratings inflated? Now we're starting to ask the real questions. Something to think about. I saw someone came after me uh, on debate night. They called me a 940 rated player and then said, you'll never shoot, um, you'll never break 60 or shoot 60 at Trophy Lake Blues. We're going to Charleston next week. And so I was like, this is from the same guy I thought was 940. I was like, then I'll definitely be able to. And then someone commented and said, well, they think you're actually 940 because all of your rated rounds are in Virginia. I was like, do people think Virginia ratings are inflated? That is so wrong. Right? Well, at least in our area it is. That's what I'm saying. Like, whenever I play an event... If you get, like, 2,000 rated pros to your event, it's, like, a big deal. Well, also, like, I remember... I distinctly remember Nick Carl moving from Massachusetts down here. And he moved down here, and he was, like, at the time, like, 980, 990 in mass, and then came down here, and I was 950, 960... And at tournaments, I was beating him. Obviously, now he's a much better player than me. At, excuse me. At tournaments, I was beating him. And so I always gave him a like, hard time because like, he would go back to Massachusetts and be able to shoot like 990,000 rated. Then he'd come down yeah. here and shoot like 950,960. It's 960. not inflated. And so I would always give him a hard time. I'm like, yeah, you're just playing with real ratings down here. Like, it, these are Virginia ratings. It just depends on it. It's so depends but, like, people on were looking your at, field. Our yeah. field is not. Look at, just look at the fields that Hunter's ratings came out of. Like, I mean, yeah, if you go back to where he played like Ledgestone. But like, Those are my, it, I played that's awful not Virginia. If you go to like his Virginia ratings, like he had to play well to get there. Yeah, but I just thought it was I thought it was interesting. People thought Virginia ratings were inflated when I've always thought Virginia ratings sucked. They're not good. And we all he also had to play through four years of college ratings. College ratings are all awful. time. Yeah, they all right, sucked. I got one more interesting question. This is how many countries were a sanctioned event played in in the last week? Fifteen. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's correct. Now, <laughs> how many of them can you name before getting one wrong? United States. Yes. Canada. Yes. Finland. Yes, you got the top three. Um, those are easy. <laughs> uh, now we're in tough part. How's there fifteen? It has to be just all the uh, Norway. Yeah. Sweden. Yes, you got the Scandinavians. Um, see, now we're in the tough part. There's 10 more of these things. <laughs> There's some, like, you should definitely get some of the more, some of the other ones. Well, I don't want to miss one, though. Yeah. Um, there's still some other ones that you should get. I'm trying to think of what I've Here, said. Like, there's one that, like, you know for a fact that there's players from that country. Like, there's two like it, that. Is this, is, Estonia's in Finland. No. Estonia. Estonia's a country. Okay, yeah. that's a country. That's six. Estonia. Um, man, because <laughs> I, I don't want to miss one. I for some reason Switzerland stuck in my head, but I don't think that's one. I'm gonna say it, Switzerland. No, nope. dang it. <laughs> the others were Germany, oh. the Netherlands, the United. I King- did say Netherlands. No, you didn't. <laughs> I said Norway. Yeah. I said the Norway. United Kingdom, Australia, Denmark, France, Italy, Japan, and Slovenia. I would uh, never got that Slovenia. That would have been a tough one. I would never got Slovenia. <laughs> Probably not Denmark either. Or Denmark. France. Denmark, if I would have thought of KJ Naibo, it would have happened. Yeah, you could have got Japan and Australia and the UK. Probably. Australia didn't even cross my mind. You were there. I didn't cross my mind. You were at the event in Australia. Was it the Australia? No, it wasn't the Australia <laughs> Open that just happened. Maybe. Do they no. still play it? Yeah. Did they just give up? Which is not a major. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they get any pros there anymore, really. How funny is that? Like, Well, they used to have the Australian Open was a major at one point. The um, Konopiche Day was a major. Japan well, Open was a major. The World Tour was a thing. Why did Disc Golf decide to play a major in Australia? Was they that, did it every other year. But that was the dumbest idea ever. Let's play. A, let's do a major that only like some of our players can afford to travel to. I mean, that's, that was the same with the European Open for a long time. Yes, but Australia is so much further. It was than a very Europe. expensive trip. Yeah. I mean, it was paid for me because I went to film for a company, uh, for Innova. But uh, it, was, it was paid. But my, I still had to like book my flight, and it was very expensive. Yeah, 
Wait, what were you were paid by Spin TV? You were doing stuff. I was for doing Spin yeah, TV? McBeast Diaries. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I, I got never, my room board, all that. I yeah, like that was such a weird idea. Like yeah, let's go. Like I understand. Like having an event in Australia. Sure, that's great. Grow the sport. A major? That was stupid. Like you can't. The fact that you you can't call the Aussie Open like a major win. I'm sorry. There's not enough players there. You can't. I'm though. sorry, Paul. Subtract. Fake majors. I think Ricky won the year I was there. It was Ricky and Eagle battling Eagle it out. Choked. Eagle choked it out. Yeah. Yeah. That was back when Eagle was. Yeah, that was my favorite. That was my. Remember Avery- Eagle McMahon, man? I remember that guy. Yeah, that was one of my favorite <laughs> Avery Jenkins lines. Was um, they like all week the the locals there were talking about how hard this course was. It was it was a tough course. It was very cool. It was on a golf course, and the greens were sand with oil yeah, for the greens because yeah. like it was the heat down there. They couldn't have kept grass and alive. You pick basically, up your disc it's basically putty in your hand. Oh, it was yeah, it was incredible. But so I got to play it a few times. It was a very tough course. Um. And they just had like the Australian Open like amateur weekend before, and like even was like thousand rated and all this stuff. And so it was like a very tough course. And so then the pros come out there and just lit it up. I want to say Ricky and Eagle shot like they were in the teens under yeah. par. And so it was in the era where like live scoring was a thing, but like you weren't you weren't really looking at it. So like the lead card had the um the like stanchion with them behind it, and so you weren't during the round paying attention much to at least we weren't i didn't look at what other scores were so it was still like that era where you came into the clubhouse and everyone's like oh what'd you shoot what'd you shoot what'd you shoot yeah so i was walking with paul's card (laughs) we finished and we came in and like everyone's like talking and like they're talking about how they how far under they shot like 1400 all this stuff and all the locals are like freaking out and avery's like yeah man nice little pitching putt you got out there and oh man you can just see like the locals all like died laughing but also on the inside they were just like so frustrated the pros came and just ate their course alive there i i it honestly it all makes sense in my head now to why there are so many disc golf courses out there in the world that just stink because they're like impossible and it's because for some reason locals that design these courses only want them to be like impossible they like love like yeah really tore you up out there would you like six over par like they just love that and they're like yeah because there's three trees in the fairway mark like (laughs) Of course I had shot six over par. It's not a fair course. Like for me, because like, guess what? I just went to North Cove and played a very fair course. And it was my favorite. Like I had fun. People like courses when they have fun. There's a time where it's fun to play challenging courses. But like ultimately, you're going to go back to the ones that you have fun at. And that just cracks me up. Like they hate it. Like we, we went and had a battle at uh, Diavolo. And like there was that one hole that everybody said was going to eat our lunch. And we parred it. And, and we messed up the and, par. And I had to throw, like, yeah, I had to scramble to par it. And, like, it, we didn't play it well. And we still part it. And, like, these guys were acting like we were going to take a 12 on that hole. Like, yeah. They were t- and I was like, do you not? Like, we play some pretty hard courses. Yeah, we said something about, I was like, they said something about the par five. And I was like, well, we play New London. And they were like, oh, yeah. This is I was like, eat. I was looking at the distance. I was like, that would probably be a par four in New London. And they're like, oh, yeah. We'll and see they're like, that. oh, we'll see. You're still talking like that after you play it. And then we like got through the hole, and I was like, "That would definitely be a par forty, London." Like yeah. it was. It, don't get me wrong; it was a hard hole. We hit a tree like directly in front of it. It was. A, it was a hard hole. And took a five, but it wasn't like it. It, it wasn't the worst thing. It's I've just ever seen. this weird like sense of pride that like locals have, and like well, know, I think what they it is, want like, you to hate yourself is because I get this to a certain extent. It's like when people come in town, you you it's your chance to like validate how good you are to a certain extent. So if yeah. you've shot an even at this course, yeah, Paul and the players, shot like two under here, yeah. 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 And I was able to shoot because I play it every single day of my life. So I was able I get that. Well, because like when Paul blew up at uh Camp Hideaway for that brawl yeah. that one time, yeah. and then he, he proceeded to shoot like a ridiculous round the next round and almost won the thing. But I'll always have that moment where he shot like two over at Camp Hideaway and I shot a fifty eight. Yeah. Nothing feels better at Camp Hideaway than knowing when I shoot a sixty one. Well, Paul shot sixty two out here once. Yeah, he did that one time. Yeah. The worst round of his life. It was the worst life. round of his life. Thank goodness for him it wasn't rated. But he did do it once. It did so I think it's just that aspect of like knowing, well, okay, I mean, my 64 can't be that bad because Paul shot a 62 out here once. It's that, I think. I think it's just I that think vibe. We, I think we should, in, in, we should make an impossible course. Let's make like the hardest course in the world, dub it that, and it's just so unfair. All the greens are like slam, sloped like At, super. Let's just make Dunapace Dunes, but in the woods. <laughs> There's just OB everywhere. Dude, it's in the wood. Yeah, OB, like super the fair, heavy. The OB fairway's course. OB. Yeah. You have to be off the fairway. 
to be in bounds. No, I, I, there's this, uh, I was just playing uh, this course near the beach where I was. It's a nine hole course. Pretty fun. If you're ever in surf city, check it out. Um, but there, the final hole ended in the, it was an elevated basket, kind of in like almost like a sandbox looking thing, whatever. And I thought to myself, what if you made an, a OB circle around the basket? People talk about that. To where you have to make it. If it drops out, it's out of bounds. Like that would be amazing. I want to see that. I don't want to do a challenge video like that where inside 20 feet is OB. Yeah, why have we never done that for a video? That is so. so you, just ha- you have to putt from like twenty feet, and if you miss, it's OB. Yeah, I guess that's the downfall of that, huh? Can't because ha- this was an elevated basket, which made it a little bit easier to get away with. Because like you wouldn't like you wouldn't throw necessarily a bullseye. It's hard to throw it in an elevated, but yeah, I guess that would be the downfall. But that's a good video idea. Yeah, I think it's a great. Video come back. Idea. We'll come back. To maybe that. maybe for the video, it's not OB. It's just like uh, you don't get a stroke penalty. You just have to take it back to twenty feet. If you land in. So, like, if you throw your drive, the closest putt you're ever going to have is 20-footer. And then if you miss your putt, it's not like, oh, now, so I land my drive uh, in, now I'm throwing again. three. Yeah, you have to keep putting for 20 feet. Oh, I said we back it up to 30 then. Oh, so the circle's, the circle's lava. You can't the be inside the circle. Lava. What a, I love how often, like, we come up with video ideas on the podcast. People are just, like, in our minds. Like, yeah. this is how it happens. We don't really think about these things. Yeah, the circle's <laughs> lava. So, if you're inside the circle, you Think can't, about that thumbnail. Oh, my gosh. You can't, you can't putt from inside the circle. Uh, that's a great video idea. Circles lava. That's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed. Hope you have a great July Check 4th. Check out the Circles Lava coming out yeah, soon. Yeah, Circles Lava coming out soon. If you haven't checked out our uh, Freedom Collection, foundationdisc.com, this shirt's a part of it. That shirt's not a part of it. Uh, you can check that out over there. And um, we'll see you back here on Wednesday or Thursday for a preview of Idlewild that I believe is going down this weekend. One of my favorite tournaments of the year. You're not going to miss it.